0: This is the Land and Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome to Land and Legacy Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone listening. Guys, appreciate everyone listening so diligently every single week. And uh, we've got a client success coming to you this week on the podcast. How a 40 acre dream season transpired in unlikely places, but through discipline, good quality habitat management, focusing on the right things, the right attributes of a farm, beefing that up, what that has done for. Uh, a landowner, and the success that he's had on the East Coast. But if you're not from the East Coast, you still need to listen to this because there's a lot of principles that are going to apply to um, to yourself. And even if you don't have a small farm, still listen to it because this, this should show you if, if he accomplished this on a 40-acre chunk, what can I accomplish on 2, 3, 5, 600 acres? So make sure... You listen to it, we hope you guys enjoy it, and it fuels you, it sets the tone for 2024 for you and what you're going to accomplish and how you're going to set similar standards and abide by them, achieve it, and just execute, execute, execute. So before we jump into today's podcast, though, want to give a, a quick shout out to our partners with OnX. If you're not using OnX, if you're not an elite member, you're behind the eight ball, and you don't want to be behind the eight ball, use the code LEGACY20 to get yourself 20% off an elite membership through OnX. It is a fantastic land management tool for planning, for um, getting you guys all ready for all the land management activities that you're going to go through during 2024 and the many years beyond that. So go check it out. Elite membership, OnX, use the code land legacy 20 excuse me legacy 20 to get yourself 20 percent off the elite membership all right guys let's jump into the podcast all righty john are you there
1: yes sir hey matt how you doing doing
0: well sir doing well i appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast to highlight some success in in success from potentially unlikely places and that's what i love about our job and our land and land management itself is like, man, you don't have to be held down limited to where you're from or, or what's a hundred percent around you. Um, that like that doesn't have to be your, your future, your destiny. And I think this story is going to resonate with a lot of people. So man, we just, we appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and sharing your stories, um, about about your hunting success. And, the property success too of, of habitat manipulation that you've done. So wh- why don't you, why don't you kind of start us off of, of, uh, your journey and kind of how, how you came in contact with Land and Legacy, um, and got into, let's, let's say this broke, break the mold of, uh, a Virginia Hunter, um, um, shoot maybe running dogs and then you know owning property and then get into habitat management and like there's there's a, there's such a backstory <laughs> i think to to your story <laughs> itself but why don't, why don't you take it from here and kind of give us that backstory that goes into how you've now managed a 40 acre parcel to produce what you produced this year
1: man how much time do we have <laughs> i know right <laughs> um, yeah started out like you say this is not just Virginia, but east of the Blue Ridge in mm-hmm. Virginia, where you can run deer with dogs. And um, from a kid on until in my late 20s, that's, that's what we did, you know. Um, that was pretty much the only way we hunted. And then went to college, was uh, a degree geared towards wildlife management and forestry and started learning some different things with quality deer management. I yep. got introduced to that and um, came back home and, Continue hunting the way we had, but started still hunting more and started passing up some bucks. Uh, you know, started trying to let the year and a half and two and a half year old deer go. And do,
0: do you think uh-huh. there was a light bulb moment in that? Cause like that, like I, I had a similar upbringing, like the first, the first deer that I've, I killed. And, and many, many after that, we, we, you know, we had, we had dogs and have hounds, but we had dogs, um, yeah, and we'd yeah. run deer and and do drives that was early on sixty eighty percent of what we did and then it was just like for me I wasn't ever like this like aha moment it was just like you know I feel like I have more success when I go and sit somewhere and and I and I yeah. still hunt it um, as opposed to this oh, uh, yeah. this other way like so I didn't have a light bulb moment moment but like I s- transitioned to that style earlier than than um, you did but that was just because of the, the circumstances that I grew up in. So like, was there that like moment for you then? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My granddad, uh, he, he was a dog hunter as he was young. When he was younger, as he got older, he became more of a steel hunter and he would take me to a permission piece he had Mm -hmm. and he would always kill big deer. Yes, always kill big deer. And I, he would take us with him, And then dad killed a big deer with him. I think that deer was scored in the 170s or something Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous for the mid-90s for this area yeah um getting your hands on that deer (laughs) and seeing what a a big deer feels like and that was probably the moment and it took some time from that point to continue growing and get to where i am you know now sure and you know there's plenty of clubs that they're they're evolving they're having a five gallon bucket rule if the fits in that bucket you pay a, f- a fine to the club you know mm-hmm. so there's plenty of clubs that are changing and trying to let these young deer go and uh focus on the mature deer but where i'm at it still is with an exception for a couple neighbors if his brown is down this is what way it is here and um but yeah um i can't give you a date but sure. in the 2005 2006 2007 we started letting those deer go protecting the two two-year-olds we're trying to get to the point now where we're protecting the three-year-olds mm-hmm. 2013 i bought uh me and my wife bought a 40 acre piece that was actually my great great granddad's farm mm, that's cool. we, were able to purchase it, we were able to purchase it from a relative and get it back in the original chunk of the family farm and um, it was a overgrazed, overstocked cattle farm, and um, the fences were pretty bad, honestly. And that's what kept me from going into cows. It was, was going to cost so much to get the fence right and right. the catch pen, and, and all of this. And I can do pretty good budgeting, and I could tell that it was going to take <laughs> me the rest of my life to be back in the black with cows on this farm. So I was like, we put, we have plenty of hay fields, we have plenty of pasture. <laughs> this is a good spot to make this a wildlife, uh, paradise is what I wanted to turn it into. So yes. Um, it was hard to turn, uh, hay fields in what I've turned it into. I know it was hard for my dad to see. <laughs> <The laughs> yeah, it fields, yeah. fields grow up from well manicured to, um, looks like a jungle, but is you know, it was paid off as we'll get into later. Is paid off to to turn it from that, well mm-hmm. manicured to what
0: it is now. Absolutely. And that's what I love about uh about your story is you you've gone through this um this journey. And so like for other people listening to this podcast, uh, make sure you make sure you listen to the other podcast that um we recorded this week and will drop because this is like a, a perfect scenario where you talk about the journey of land management, journey of land ownership and how you go from kind of one stage and just keep developing developing the, you know, developing the farm and yourself. And, um, and so this, this is, this is a good kind of uh, illustration of uh, what we talk about in the other podcast. So um, continue, continue on um, to that evolution. Yeah. Cause I know, I know, I know QDMA and now NDA had a, had a big role in starting um, starting this journey for you too an educational process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know everybody knows the, the name craig harper and um i joined qdma i started hearing about the stewardship courses dear stewart classes and i did the first one online the second one was arthur Dix farm in eden north carolina in 2015. Mm-hmm. got introduced to all of the stuff we're doing now on this 40 acres and then the course it really Uh, I guess, put in stone for me was the habitat enhancement class I went to in 2017 at Arthur Dick's Farm. And Craig was leading that, Dr. Harper was leading that. And I remember riding by like a one acre soybean food plot. And Arthur said that he didn't plant that, that that was a volunteer from what he planted the year before, that the deer weren't touching it because it was so much quality native forage around that they just weren't hammering the the food plots True. so i got to thinking because i could plant eight acres of soybeans and i did and they yeah. would barely get they wouldn't even shake the ground out because i wasn't concentrating on the the native you know the yes. easy stuff the the free not free but compared to what you're spending on food plots yeah. sure sure that stuff is free so um 2017 is really when my wheels started turning because I was spending a lot of money on 12 and 13 acres of food pot. Oh yeah. 200 acres. Yeah. So, um, and, and 200 acres,
0: 200 acres included, included your dad's like the whole, the whole right, family. That's farm. right. Yep. No. That's right. It's split up and
1: split, split up in three parcels. The road splits it up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the, the that's including his place. My place now, as it said, there's only uh, two, two acres of food or something sure. like that on it. Yeah, yeah. Two or three acres of food. And it started out with, uh, I think I was like six acres of food pot mm-hmm. on 40 acres. So I went a little crazy with the food because that was what everybody was driving to you back yeah. then was...
0: Oh, like they still the are. <laughs> most, yeah. most, oh, yeah. most still yeah. is. It's food, food, food. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a great example of, of just the power. Let, let's say the the ratio, and, and that's not a, a specific ratio that that needs to be followed. It's it's just, just a balance, though. Of every farm would be different. Of what what is lacking in a neighborhood, and once you have and, and beef up that that native forage and the cover, the um, food plot starts to be used a lot more consistently. And it's just a healthy balance of both aspects of um let's say property management cuz an over overbrowse soybean field doesn't mean much come November. It just does. Right.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: So when when you you go to that class and start realizing okay, hey, there's there's more to this. I transition you know, naturally then your your management around um Native forage and, and and whatnot. When did it take take us from that moment to um, me joining you on on site for a consultation? Because that was, I believe in in the August twenty twenty one time frame, right?
1: Yeah. So in those four years, it was a lot of reading mm-hmm. and a lot of. Um, I one book I still go to. I I want to say Carl Miller was one of the authors, but it was about forest, plants, and their wildlife uses. Mm-hmm. So it kind of grades each plant as to how attractive they are to wildlife and and being able to identify plants. So those four years were spent really trying to learn a lot about these plants and these, you know, I could ad- ID trees, but the weeds, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I, I didn't know this, I'm ashamed to say this, but I didn't know beggar's lice was a sought after high sought after Mm-hmm. plant by deer and I, sure. i'm like i'm in these all the time because i'm constantly getting them off my penis so, <laughs> yeah yeah you know some and then pokeweed you know all mm-hmm. these plants that are just growing everywhere if you just put the bush hog in the shed and i didn't realize that the, the one thing i did fight with on old pasture was dog fennel yes yep so we can get, get into that later i have a monoculture of Warm season grasses, but that fuel was originally done like that because when I released the fescue, it exploded with dolphin fennel.
0: Right, right.
1: So, but the monoculture. When we get into the hunting side of it later on, the monoculture does work into providing the access to my blind without bumping deer. Oh,
0: well, absolutely, absolutely. There's so, there's a rhyme and a reason, and and that's why I want you to speak on, um, you know, quickly because like you 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 or you know dear steward one and two graduate been to nda um now had a consultation of uh through land legacy in 21 yeah. when did um. let's say when did it when did it like let's say click because like that you you have you have um a ferocious appetite for for that information you read 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 learned it put it together. Um, You've got you've got the history within with you know, from college. Um, like you're you're very knowledgeable about land, um, and and for, you know from your career, your profession, and into your um, extracurriculars of reading all this stuff. But like, when did it click? Because there, there's a lot of I guess what I'm trying to get to, John, is is um. There's there's a lot of people who are, who are scared to let's say pick up the phone and be like. I I want some outside help, you know. They're, they're knowledgeable, like yourself, and and have have you know done a lot of different um, maybe programs or, or have a college degree or or work in a similar field. And they're like, what? Why would I need that? Um, so, kind of, what was the, what was the reason for picking up the phone and having a consultation um, when you had such existing knowledge?
1: Oh, it was. I had the pieces to the puzzle, but I didn't feel confident I had them in the right spots. Got it. And the success, I owned the farm from 2013 to 2019 and didn't kill a single deer. Mm Mm-hmm. And and a lot of those deer would get killed on neighboring properties. So I, I wanted to be able to, the food plots were good at attracting deer, but not holding deer. Yeah, yep. You know, that was my thing. And I know I'm on 40 acres. I'm realistic about it. Yeah. I know, um... There's a lot of pressure around me, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of pub- a lot of public land around me, and I know I'm realistic with it, but I also know in these high-pressure environments that I can make my forty the best forty in ten thousand acres around me. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know with the with the cover and food because there's nobody around me with the cover food, and I have three ponds mm-hmm. on this forty also, so. You're Nobody trying, else has just, what I have. And I I know you can I can hold them to an extent, especially late season when there's no pressure on me.
0: Yes, yes. And and you're trying to just pack in um pack in a ton of high value resources to either either do one thing, hold deer Consistently on the place. Like, that's objective one. If you can hold them, you can get right. them to some older age classes, and you're attracting them, and your property, the way you're going to hunt it, is going to be the most secure. But then also, when you pack in a lot of high value resources, too, at times where food is king and paramount, like on the front of a whitetail's brain, you're going to attract and pull in from a long distance, too, yeah. deer. And so, it's a kind of a twofold, right. it's a twofold, um, strategy in that, although it is high pressure area from lots of dog hunting. Um and again I know from oh, yeah. from, oh, from, yeah. from people for people who aren't in Virginia uh in, in really the eastern half of Virginia um or parts of North Carolina um mm-hmm. where where it's still prevalent, um that doesn't mean much to you. Or it may not mean much to you. But but someone who's grown up there um, experienced it. Um I w- I was on a consult in in December this year in a different portion of Virginia. Um and the number of dogs that we saw running through that hundred and sixty acres throughout the day, the number of times vehicles were up and down that, that landowner's driveway, um when we talk about pressure, this is this is pressure oh, yeah. that you that you can hardly even fathom. Of the right. number, the intensity, the frequency, um, packs of dogs, and and I mean oh, literally, yeah. we saw, we saw the same group multiple times um, throughout the day, but also probably saw three to four different groups of dogs running deer, and uh, so oh, it, 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 it's hard, it's hard to paint that picture without people experiencing it, but. <laughs> Whatever you're thinking when I say pressure from dog hunting and intense pressure, times it by ten and and whatever pressure you know you, you might have neighbors at hunt and this and that. This is where like and, deer aren't safe. Yeah.
1: And it's a seven week uh rifle season. Yeah. So seven weeks of rifle that comes in the weekend before Thanksgiving. So we get four weeks of bow, two weeks of motor loaders, seven weeks of rifle. So it's thirteen weeks. Of
0: hunting and and, and committing to committing to doing what you what you sought after to do and what you knew to do at the forefront uh, of education and knowledge and having a balanced age structure and trying to grow mature deer on forty acres in a in a landscape not even just a neighborhood an absolute landscape of that was was honestly psychotic but you knew (laughs) once you know the information though you have to like that you have to commit to you know that then being your goal and so no wonder no reason why you know for for a seven year period let's say you didn't harvest anything one because of all the compounding factors uh, of the neighborhood the landscape around you but then also the property wasn't set up in the way that that, you know, took all those things into account. So right. with that being said, for those listening, it's hard. It may be hard for you to comprehend that extreme pressure nature. Um, Cause it's, it's just, it's different than people hunted on, you know, a fence line. This is, this is constant pressure yeah. seven weeks. Yeah. Right? And it makes you wonder how in the world did this happen? Um, but it's like, that's the power of a well-balanced uh, property and hunting it, hunting it smart Good. and keeping keeping something secure.
1: You, you know, when you showed up, I started a little bit opening up the canopy of a, it's a four-acre um, block of woods. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, this past winter, in March, we finally got in there to burn it. And I had a buddy that showed up to help and the fire was about out, but it's still a little bit burning around us. And I looked at him and he was looking up, you know, just looking at the trees. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And he said, I've never seen such a dense stand of crap in my life <laughs> because there was just so many trees in there that needed to be cut. And uh, But I wasn't aggressive enough is what yeah. I was getting at. When you mm-hmm. came here, you you want me to open up 80% or even clear cut. and. I've got it somewhere around that now. Mm-hmm. i got a little bit more. I sit in the stands now, and that's what I look at, is what trees I want to cut down when sure. the season is over. But, uh, but, yeah, that's you helped me with that. I wasn't aggressive enough with that. I had a food pot that needed to be covered instead of food. Um, you gave me some more ideas around. And you really pulled the plan together. And since 2021, the, the success, and success is, I guess, is relative. Who oh, yeah. my success is seeing more daytime movement of mature deer. I would love to kill one every year, but we were talking about that before. I may not kill one every year on this mm-hmm. forty acres, and I understand that, and I'm fine with that. But success is being mm-hmm. able to draw those deer in that I normally wouldn't, and hold them, and I may not get a shot at them, but at least see them. You know, and that's, yes, that's been happening.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, so consult twenty twenty one. You start making those improvements, changing things up, um, altering layout, re-talk hunting strategy, how to, how to hunt it, where to hunt it, um, reduce food and concentrate food into, to an area. And and I don't believe you hadn't had any, um, alfalfa planted before that. Um, so, so making a food plot change to, um, a crop that in, in your area, um, it has a it has a, a small dormancy window, but mm-hmm. being in the yeah. southern half of Virginia, um, it's a very viable and attractive food source for much of the season, and so um, it could withstand browse pressure, and and, yeah. and so it was a it was a great candidate to be able to um, put on the farm, and you did that, and how has that changed? <laughs> you know, obviously we're, we're very heavy native forage. We're very heavy hunting strategy. Um, but at the same time frame on 40 acres, you have to have a balance of, of both. We want to skew heavy towards the cover, but you still have to have some, some food and, and, and a attractive forage and enough forage that is going to have that, that pulling power. So it's a, it's a, balance let's say um that may that may be different from a uh, let's say a farm that's 220 or a farm that's 260 or 2,000 acres It's not gonna have the same balance here but on 40 alfalfa was a was a candidate what have you seen with that planting um a lot of people are apprehensive of planting alfalfa just because oh i hear it's i hear it's finicky and it's hard to grow right. what's, what's been your experience because I I, I I personally love it and recommend it all the time but i want i want to hear it from you who's who went through seasons that didn't yes. have it planted that monoculture soybean scenario and and now where are you at
1: yeah i'd heard the same thing oh you gotta spray it for bugs and you do but i have a i just put a spray on my golf cart and it's an acre and a half is all i planted Mm -hmm. and my plan was to cut it for hay get a little income off of it but the deer kept it mowed for me it got you know around 10 to 12 inches tall during the summer but it would be 10 or 12 deer out in it yeah every evening you know that's a lot of Forage being taken in. I'll take. I'll ta- put it like this. I'll take a alfalfa field over a soybean field anytime. now Yeah. Because yeah. like you say, it stays. It stayed green and usable on into muzzleloader season here. You know, it was just because we had a cool fall,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it wasn't enough to shut it down, and it didn't shut down until. And I, it's still green out there. You know, it's not completely like just stalks out there. And I broadcast a fall mix into it yeah so i had this fall fall mix coming up at the same time the alfalfa was doing its thing and man those season i would see eight bucks at a time in alfalfa and that was just unheard of totally for for me even early season and mm-hmm. it's still you're using it now obviously my, my two nice bucks that i killed were late season yes and yes. Um, so the the is alpha's up on a ridge, the bedding is down on a side slope and a little bit of a bottom near a pond, and they just come up It's just like you draw up a football play, and the deer just read it perfect, yeah, I mean they're just doing exactly what you said they were gonna do when we put this plan together.
0: I love it and and you're keeping you're keeping the the pressure around the bedding super super low um now you can't stop um. You know four-legged dogs and hounds from you know potentially running right. through it but that that's something that like i think the best strategy from yeah. from landowner standpoint is control what you can control um that's and, right and that's right. you keeping it as secure as possible is is most important and so um and go ahead
1: and that goes for you know <laughs> letting the deer walk because a, a lot of people will say you know well the neighbor is going to kill him i might as well kill him and I've told this to you before too, I can't change the way I hunt based on the way that people around me hunt. So I got to keep doing what I do and it's hard not to worry about them because it's, it's so prevalent and so, um, um, they're so visual. That's a mm-hmm. very visual way of hunting, you know, but definitely, um, I, I just can't change what I'm doing. Other than I can change the habitat, make it thicker or yep. stuff like that, I can control mm-hmm. stuff like that. But as far as not shoot or not shooting a deer or shooting a deer because of what the neighbor is going to do, I can't. Yeah. I can't. Uh, that's I not let that control.
0: That's not a long term strategy that's going to allow you to reach the 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 end goal that you want to have, right? That's a short term potential success. Right. Um, right. But it but it distances you away from that end goal. So kind of we got a good backstory here. We know you've done a lot of work on the place. Take us into, um, the 2023 season and, and what kind of transpired here because, um, you had a, you had a dream season, man. You had a, you had an opportunity that (laughs) like, to me, you know, the work, the patience, the diligence, the, the years of, um, tag soup and, and, I'm probably going to eat a tag this year. I'm probably not going to harvest a buck this year. (laughs) And it's not something that is like, I don't know. I I just, I feel like there's a lot of negativity around tag soup, but man, you and I both know you having, you eating tag soup and delaying your success for multiple seasons allowed this to happen and this to transpire. And so it's like, to me, Every time you go through a season, and for all those people listening, you've just you've you've delayed your success for for a future bigger success. Like well, yeah, there, there's probably. something better waiting down the road because you're letting deer get age on them. Could I have shot multiple good young deer? Oh man, golden opportunities. But why? That's not, that's not what I'm, what I'm after. You could have probably done the same thing for multiple years, but that wasn't what you're after. And now you probably didn't think you'd have two chances at some, some great <laughs> deer, but, but you did and you capitalized on it. So walk us through the season here.
1: Yeah. Um, you probably need to bill me another uh, consult fee because I've, I've been emailing you like, what do I do with this? Here, <laughs> pictures? And, uh, at the last one I killed, um, he was daytime. Like I've never seen a buck this size daylight mm-hmm. this late in the season and he was driving me nuts. You know, I would, I would go to another stand and he'd show up. I only have two stands essentially that I hunt. One observation stand on the other side. I don't even count that really as a stand, but two places I hunt right now, I have a couple more you've given me that I need to get in there and uh and get those set up. But
0: um, well, and, and let's pause right there for a second because okay. I think that's really important. This is this is a forty-acre chunk, and you can't hunt everywhere. I feel like I feel like people who are like, "Oh man, if they're on there, I just want to kill them." You still have to be, you still have to be diligent and disciplined in the strategy. It, are there more spots to hunt on your forty acres? Yes, and outlined, right. and outlined other ones. But that doesn't mean you need to like they're going to be more aggressive than the two that you've identified already. That you're like, hey, I can get here cleanly, right. and and I just like keeping the forty secure is what's most important. So like the access to those two stands is of the utmost, and the wind direction which you hunt hunt them is is of the utmost to keep that right. forty as secure as possible. So people listening like, oh, he only recommended two stands. No, didn't figure it out that all I really need is probably two stands and I need to hunt it. I need to be patient at the same time as being um you know disciplined. I need to work those weave those two together throughout a season and and when the deer are on you and and you own them during daylight hours, two stands with really good access Is enough on on a forty acre chunk. I'm not saying that, you know, that's cookie cutter you know. This this farm is unique.
1: Y'all y'all did a podcast several years ago, just I think it was the same year you came out, but y'all did a podcast on like what is the worst (laughs) farm layout you can think of. And my farm, I was sitting here listening to it, like, man, this checks all the boxes. I just (laughs) bought the worst (laughs) farm because it lays east to west. The access is on the west side. So I have to have an east wind to hunt my main spot, And it's just, it was, it's hard. That's why it's only two stands is hard access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the monoculture that I talked about earlier, yeah. I, I don't want it to be diverse because that's between, it's <laughs> literally a three minute walk from my house to the blind. It can get uh, stale sometimes hunting the same stand, but I knew, I just I just had to sit back because I knew eventually they were going to come out there yep. on that food. I just had to be patient and sit back and wait. And uh, it paid off twice this year, you know. And uh, the last buck I killed, it was I was coming home from work late mm-hmm. one evening. And I, was, I only had time for like, an, I think it was about an hour. I got home, it was right before 5. Yep. And he came out right at the end of shooting light, you know. So... It's it's been a, it's allowed me to get more hunts in too because those little thirty forty minute hunts have been very productive. Sure. In that stand.
0: And 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 being able to get in the stand to the stand, not only, not only to it, but up up the stand, undetected. Because oh, yeah. I, I I know you've you you've gotten in there when there's been deer in the field. Um, but what right. what's what's yep. really cool is is the fact that like, you've killed some these these two bucks that you killed one was one was early december and one was later into december um over that that alfalfa field that had been overseeded with fall annuals um but but one of those like it, it was a story of two completely different deer and this goes back into why you why we set up the farm the way we did and and have the food the way we did and and amount of cover because one was very frequent on the farm daylight like core area he was on that place and if you had wanted to you could have gotten probably more aggressive and and try to poke yourself in but you would potentially right then um then bump the deer it's like he will daylight on that field if you're persistent and consistent in hunting and you could be because of that access and and then he eventually did but that deer lived on you like daylight yes. photos all the time and that's so nerve-wracking yes. like I, I, I almost was <laughs> nerve-wracking you emailing me photos and stuff um but but the other deer is a completely different story so kind of talk me through like did you have history with these deer how, how did they utilize yeah. the farm and how, how how you were able to capitalize on both of them on 40 acres
1: Honestly, I need to go back in my old, I save all my pictures from the years past and I need to go back to see if I can recognize them. But mm-hmm. right off hand, it's not be yeah, I recognize the, um, the big nine point I killed in, uh, on December 1st, he was sporadic. He was on me back in, I think I had a picture of him in June, some in August, he was just hit or miss. He wasn't even one I had on the radar of having a good chance of killing. Okay. And, um, but I was on food, you know. He he was on me late November, and I don't think it was any more before I killed him on December first. Mm. But I killed him on I killed him on the food, you know. He came out by yeah. himself. And the uh, ten pointer though, he, you know the story on him. He was here all spring, all summer, and he disappeared. And I don't know if you want to go into this later or not, but I'll tell you, he disappeared October 28th and didn't show back up until November 28th. Mm. And I had assumed he was either died of EHD or been killed. You know, I just, right. I just ripped him off as being gone.
0: Right, right. Yeah. That, and, and naturally you would, you know, knowing the, the pressure that's around you, you're like, oh man, some, someone probably popped them during that, that muzzleloader season, um, you know, in, in the state and you know they, they 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 got lucky but it's it's interesting just the way that individual deer are going to utilize you know a 40 acre chunk right that deer core area through you know summer he he just he just he rutted elsewhere and there's everyone yes. has those instances and when you have 40 acres and and, camera and stuff like that you know when he's there and when he's not and um, literally just a just a dispersal into a different core area split core area that's a tendency that you know some some deer definitely have characteristic um and you know unfortunately yeah he left during the rut but at the same time frame having a secure area when a ton more hunting pressure dog pressure gets on boom as soon as the rut's over he's right back in and nestles into a very consistent pattern of bed to food and it all happens on 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 a 40 acre chunk um so that's that's wonderful to to see but not uncharacteristic from that type of behavior trait of just a deer with with two core areas um and utilizing that you know throughout the fall differently but the other one to me is like you know august photos summertime photos um and then boom completely gone he was probably you know part of a bachelor group Summered around mm-hmm. there, and then just d- did to have a completely home different home range and and splits off from bachelor group and and doesn't show back up until food's really necessary. That like exhausting of energy throughout the rut drives them right back into food as soon as that rut activity sh- activity sh- slows down. And you know December one, uh, I think isn't is what you said when he shows back up and hadn't seen it since August and then boom i mean that that like yeah, yeah. next day you're there able to capitalize and, and you're able to capitalize on it too i'm i'm harping on it but like this is why it's so important it's like you had clean access it wasn't you hunted the farm a lot but you didn't it it wasn't like it was being over hunted because of the access and everything to that field um that that was so integral into the the property and the play and the layout it's like you got to remain Accessible here, and, and you've done a obviously a very good job with that, um, and so you know two completely different scenarios. I think the the nine pointer we said was like over nineteen inches wide, big framey framey mm-hmm. deer, um, and and then uh, a super super solid one hundred forty ish inch uh, ten pointer as as well on the same forty acres, in one season, different behavior, but. To me, that's why, you know, you can't underestimate a 40-acre trunk if you're disciplined. Right. and And disciplined in your strategy, your development of it, and then the way that you hunt it. And I just, hats off to you, man, for accomplishing that in well, a really difficult area.
1: And thank you for the work you put into it. And oh, like man. I said, all the emails and helping me out with the hunting strategy and, um, I know for some listening, 140 doesn't sound big, you know, for Midwest. But where we're at here, you'd be hard pressed to find 140 inch in this part, of even this county. You know, that's that's the thing. Even within the same county, you can go find 160, 170. But this part of this county is, you know, 140 is is huge. Mm-hmm. And that's
0: that's where you know success is is um, is really relative to to your your exact neighborhood and and where you're at and um do this what what you've been able to accomplish um is 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 stinking awesome knowing the area knowing the outside influences that you have zero control over um to me it just it just makes a great case for having a strategy developing the proper habitat for that farm specifically weaving in the right hunting strategy and letting time because um, time's rarely on our side but letting time just take you know just roll through the clock and calendars developing enough age structure passing enough deer and then you're rewarded with two great deer for um, south centralish Virginia and my goodness dude like it's awesome awesome go
1: you all want
0: to set up a gofundme page to pay for the taxidermy bill, that <laughs> you know, would be great. <laughs> oh, I love it. You know, you go you go through uh um that that much that much time um and then you're you're given those opportunities. Yeah, it's like you you got to preserve 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 those memories cuz yeah, you know, next year and I, and I know you know this, it may not happen. Yeah. That's like you right. you may not you may not harvest um this caliber of deer next year. I hope that you do. Are you going to have chances at them? Are they, are they around and the property's attractive enough to pull them? Yeah, it, it definitely is. But, but to, to still like accomplish what you've done it, it is awesome. But you, you did tell me though, you, you saw a couple, uh, really good up and comer deer too, which is, oh, yeah. I mean, pro- super promising for the seasons to come, man. I mean, like it, you're doing what you need to do, and it's paying off, um, and, I, and I love that for you.
1: Yeah, it's um, tag it's, soup is always a possibility here. I know 40 acres, bachelor groups disperse, you know, and yep. um, it's always a possibility. So I may go in the next year and not kill anything, but, you know, the success we didn't cover a deer I killed in 2021 the year you came here mm-hmm. was a big 8 pointer i let go of a two and a three-year-old and had the sheds for both years yeah and he came up that uh that was a decent rebuff also came up out the bed and they get into the food yep, and killed him out of the same stand yeah so um three out of the last three years you know if i miss one, don't get one next year i'm not i'm not trying to kill everyone out here i I'd love to, but I understand the reality. The reality of it (laughs) is, some will be lost to neighbors, some will disperse, some EHD will get, and that's just that's why it's hunting. That's it.
0: That's it. And and, I mean, I'm
1: going to enjoy the process, though. You know, I'm mm -hmm. already itching to get the the chainsaw out. And
0: that's right.
1: uh, We have the first Saturday in January is the end of the season, so that uh. That following week, I'll be out here with a chainsaw like a termite, cutting any <laughs> sweet gum or see, right. and working on these trees.
0: That's exactly right, man. Well, I really appreciate your time, John. Come on and and, and talk about this and, and share that success. And um, it, it's rare to find someone who, who has that devotion to um, seeking the knowledge, implementing the knowledge, being diligent enough to to hold off the trigger and 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 delay that success for um a future success and and you've done that and I appreciate you sharing the story cuz I know it's going to resonate with um with a lot of listeners and um probably encourage them to do to do the work that you've done so appreciate you being a part of that.
1: Oh yeah, thank you and Adam and everything y'all do all the uh stuff you put out in the podcast is is Really helped out. I'm still listening. I'm still learning. You never quit learning, That's no right. matter what it is, your your Christian life or your your wildlife life. You oh know, yeah, you never you never stop learning. You never stop growing.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, man, we'll uh, we'll catch up here later on. But again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, thank you, Matt. All right, guys, there's a doozy for you. A fantastic fantastic podcast to showcase just the success and the determination to achieve something that most don't achieve on small acreage and how wonderful um it, it took time to accomplish but man the dedication that that um that he had to be able to see it through i'll absolutely love and again hopefully it's it's fuel for you guys it's it's uh an example of what what can be done on your own place if you're under those you know similar circumstances those variables um, or if you're not you're a better situation you can achieve a lot of great things with discipline determination execution and quality habitat so make sure you're getting out there this year set your mind to it we're getting into that habitat season that frame of mind get the chainsaws out herbicide hatchets time to go to work let's go guys Thanks for listening. We'll catch you here next week.